1: When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit in, is on the phone. Every We of oh, yes. yes. hey. podcast. It is Friday, October 7th, 2022 people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for the FFE, the Fun Friday edition of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know about today's show. So, a few weeks ago, we decided to preview the slate of college football with what I called the college football superlatives, kind of like, you know, the high school yearbook uh, most likely to succeed, most likely to fail, most likely to. Uh, Uh, ride a scooter through Times Square. I don't know what your yearbook was like. Okay, that wasn't in my yearbook, but you kind of get the point. Well, this weekend in college football is crazy. We have injuries galore. We don't even know if Bryce Young's playing, if Will Levis is playing, what's going on here, what's going on there. So rather than sitting here and trying to give you 10 minutes on why Alabama is going to dominate, like rather than doing that, we're going to go back to the superlatives, go through most of the biggest games and really just tell you what to watch on what could be and probably will be a very unpredictable weekend of of college football across the board. We will do college football superlatives, break it up into two parts, part one, part two. From there, we'll take a quick break. One very quick college basketball story. How about Kentucky and Gonzaga? They're playing this year in Spokane. They're playing next year at Oh, they're playing for six years total as they sign four more years onto the original deal. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we will wrap with where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Really good addition today. Some really good stuff that I got right. And as you can guess, some really good stuff that I definitely, definitely got wrong. Before we get started, a couple things. One, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred app. And this is a really cool day to talk about Betfred, okay? Because I have told you guys for months, since I really started about five weeks ago with Betfred, I said nobody does a better job of taking care of their customers, of taking care of the people that bet with Betfred than Betfred Sports. And so it's easy for me to say that, but on today, on today's show, on this Friday show, why it's so cool is because I told you all week that we were giving away VIP tailgate tickets to to Broncos fans that are listening in the Denver area. So we had two sets of tickets to give away. We gave them away. Congratulations to two Denver area listeners, Nicholas and Arthur, who were both at the Denver Broncos tailgate party on Thursday night, Thursday night football, Colts Broncos, courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook. Listen, they take care of you. They're awesome. And I am so excited to be working with them They are, of course, the official presenting sponsor of not only Aaron Torres Media, but the Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies, and the Cincinnati Bengals. So big things in Denver, and I'm just going to tell you, don't tell anybody, but we got some big things planned for Cincinnati. Ohio launches sports gambling in January 1, 2023. We're talking about 12 or so weeks from now. I don't want to say it but your boy Torres might be in Cincinnati for New Year's potentially we'll see oh by the way Kentucky plays Louisville on on December 31st oh by the way UConn plays at Xavier December 31st I'm not saying nothing's promised but I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen I want to thank Bedford and I want to remind you if you're not in Denver it's okay plenty of opportunity elsewhere because they are get they the 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 giveaway the the you know, everything that they're doing in football season right now, what I tell you all the time, bet 50 on any game, get 250 in free bets for first time users, courtesy of Betfred. So we're doing big things in Denver. We're going to do big things in Cincinnati. But if you are in neither, bet 50, get 250, courtesy of Betfred, love working with them. Really quickly, it is also the final episode of the week, which means it's my final chance to remind you. The Aaron Torres NFL Pick'Em Challenge enters week five of the NFL season. If you have not signed up, it's not too late. And if you have not made your week five picks, make sure to do so. Why is that? It's with Bracket Fanatics, and Bracket Fanatics has been awesome, and they are giving away a ton of prizes to listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. $100 weekly cash prizes for those who get the most picks right. And then, oh, by the way, a season-long $1,000 cash prize. So on today's show, what I want to do is congratulate Chip McCoy. Chip McCoy, that is his username on Bracket Fanatics. He got 13 picks right last week. He won the week four Bracket Fanatics Challenge, $100 cash prize, courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. Chip, if you're listening, Bracket Fanatics will be in touch. They'll get you set up. And if you have not signed up, it is not too late. Go to BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket Bracket name is Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S. We have had $400 weekly winners, and we are going to have a season-long $1,000 cash prize. If you have not signed up yet, it is not too late. Bracketfanatics.com. If you haven't entered at all, you can still sign up for the $100 weekly cash prizes. If you're already entered, make sure to sign up for week five to enter to get that $100 weekly winner, but the $1,000 season-long cash prize. With that said, Let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I'll tell you, this is a really interesting week in college football. And I love the Friday episode of the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast during college football season because we get to preview and break down games. But this week, I think it's really hard because I can't ever really remember a week quite like this. Coming into Thursday, there were, I counted six, marquee quarterbacks that we were not sure if they were going to play this weekend. And I think that's really important, right? It's one thing if you're if you're down a corner or a safety or a punter or a offensive guard. But when we're talking six quarterbacks, marquee quarterbacks, it just throws the whole weekend into a frenzy. So those six guys coming into the day, two of them we got clarification on. Bryce Young in Alabama, Max Johnson at A&M, uh, Quinn Ewers at Texas, Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, Will Levis at Kentucky, and KJ Jefferson at Arkansas. None of those guys we knew coming into the day if they were going to play. Now, we found out that Quinn Ewers will play for Texas. We found out that Max Johnson will not play for Texas A&M. And so why I bring it up is for a simple reason. It's because while I love these Friday shows, while I love to preview the games, while I love to give you guys and girls all of the information that I have accumulated all week long, I also have to be real and call a spade a spade. I think this week is harder than any week I can ever remember to project games and preview games. And so because of it, rather than sitting here and pretending like I have a super strong opinion and Alabama going to win by 30 and they're favored by 24 in the Betfred sports. But no, that's not what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do is what I did a few weeks ago, which I called the college football superlatives. Okay, College football superlatives, basically they're like the superlatives that you find at the back of a high school yearbook. So We all, I think most of us went to high school at the very least. And when you graduate, they do the superlatives, right? Most likely to succeed, most likely to be president, most likely to, uh, like I said, drive a a bus through Times Square. I I don't know. I can't think of all the superlatives in my high school. Most likely to uh, be a sports podcast host, even though podcasts didn't exist when I was in high school. Anyway, I want to do superlatives. And what I want to do is break down the games in a different way. Just talk about them. And so let's get to it. The week six, cannot believe we're in week six, college football superlatives going into Saturday. First superlative, the game that feels like a marquee game, but it really isn't. You know what that one is? It is, of course, Texas AM, and m Alabama. And it's just so funny. This is how crazy college football is, right? This is how crazy college football is. We're in May. Nick Saban has those comments about Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher holds the immediate press conference where he calls out Nick Saban. We monitor and track them at SEC meetings in Destin, Florida, and we're building up to this October 8th date as if it's going to be a clash of the Titans. And it just hasn't ended up being. A&M is 3-2. and As I told you, their starting quarterback, Max Johnson, is out. But I think also we don't know what the status of Bryce Young is. And so this game has just taken on a completely different tone and a completely different meaning heading into week six of the college football season. Now, in terms of the game itself, what I would tell you is I do want to talk about this game because I do think there is one very important thing that is, pl- that is in play right now at this exact moment. What is it play? the status of Bryce Young. And I think this is the most interesting variable coming into this game because I don't think Alabama's even going to lose if he doesn't play. But what I would also say is I'm curious, a couple things. One, does he play, period? But two, if he does, I, I, I wonder how loose Alabama gets with what he's able to do. Now, Nick Saban said that he has done some stuff at practice this week, but it's also worth noting, he did have that big rant that we talked about on Thursday's show in which he said, basically... I'm not giving you the playbook. I'm not telling you what's going on. And I think that was his message to his team of, I'm not using Bryce's injury as an excuse. And so with Tennessee next week on the road, with Ole Miss on the road, with LSU on the road, with Auburn ahead on the schedule, I don't know if Bryce Young is even going to play, but if he does, I doubt that Nick Saban is going to be too aggressive with him. And so I think it changes the variables in the game. And I do think this game, and if Texas A&M can even keep it close, I think it comes down to one simple thing. Can Texas A&M limit big plays? Because when I think about this game, one thing stands out to me, right? We go back to last Saturday, Arkansas hosting Alabama. And Alabama jumps out to a 21-0 lead with Bryce Young. They look awesome. They're really fun to watch. Bryce Young gets hurt. They still put up a touchdown after. But then if you paid attention, the offense went pretty stagnant. And all of a sudden, it's 28-0. Then it's 28-14. Then Arkansas recovers the onside kick. Before you know it, it's 28 to 23. And you're thinking Arkansas can pull off the upset. Alabama from there does what they do. They score three straight touchdowns from there. They put the game out of hand. But if you watch the game closely, something stood out to me. Alabama, when Jalen Milroe was in the game, they never really sustained drives with him in the game. First touchdown they scored, it was set up by a 77 yard Jalen Milroe run. And then Jameer Gibbs, their star running back, had a 70-plus-yard run for a touchdown and a 70-plus-yard run for a touchdown. And all of a sudden, like that, Arkansas was out and the game was over. And so to me, this game is very simple. Like, you can break down Bryce Young this, who's going to start at out for A&M that. To me, if A&M, with all of those athletes on defense, can limit the big plays, I think they can keep it interesting. Now, can they score enough to win the game? That I don't know. Remember, last year it took a superhuman effort from Zach Calzada to make that happen. And I sit there and say I don't really know if in this specific scenario A&M is going to have enough offense, but I do like that defense. Now the defense gave up a lot of points to Mississippi State last week, but remember, Mississippi State uh, one is really good, but two, I think A&M's defense just got worn down. They're on the field a million plays because the offense can't do anything, and I think they got worn down. They were really good against Miami, they were really good against Arkansas, they were actually really good against App State. Um, And so for me, I think what this comes down to. Is can AM's defense make enough plays? Can they limit the big plays? And if they do, then at the very least, we get an interesting game on Saturday. The Betfred Fred Sportsbook has this as a 24 point um, Alabama as is favored. I think it's low scoring. My actually official pick is the under of 51 and a half. I think Alabama does win. I do think those big plays are limited. I'll say Alabama 28, Texas AM 10. Let's get to the second superlative. That was just the game that feels big, but it's really not. How about the game that feels big, but really isn't part two? And that is Oklahoma playing Texas in the Red River game. It was a seven point Texas. Texas was a seven point favorite in the Bedford Sportsbook coming out up to a nine and a half point favorite. Now, I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Has the Red River shootout ever felt less significant than it does right now? Oklahoma coming off back to back losses. Kansas State at home. TCU on the road. Texas, three and two. Lost to Alabama. No shame in that. Lost to Texas Tech. No, I think there's some shame in it, but they didn't have Quinn Ewers. Well, we get the news today that Quinn Ewers is back. But I'll tell you, I, 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 one, I'll, I'll, let me, let me, let me backtrack. I am genuinely excited to watch Quinn Ewers, right? I think this guy's gotten a lot of flack because he went to Ohio State, took the NIL money, um, transferred out. Nobody really knows much about him. He's got the mullet. He's got kind of a, can we call a spade a spade? He's got kind of a punchable face, right? But in that Alabama game, he was legitimately awesome. And so I am curious to see him tomorrow. I don't know how much of a spotlight there's going to be on that game because neither team is very good, but I'm curious to see him. But I would also say, I think tomorrow could be the game where Bijan Robinson, the running back from Texas, puts his name in the Heisman Trophy race. Keep in mind. John Robinson, three straight 100-yard rushing games, and that Oklahoma defense is terrible. Now, we're going to talk about the Oklahoma defense in where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I thought Oklahoma would be improved on defense. Shame on me. Slap on the wrist. That's why we knew where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. But I look at that Oklahoma team. I mean, the defense is unbelievable. 668 yards they gave up last week to TCU. 300-something on the ground. Almost 300 to Kansas State the week before. And so when I look at that game, I think everybody's super excited about Quinn Ewers. I think everybody should be excited about B. John Robinson. He might rush for 400 yards himself. That's to, what to keep an eye on from the Oklahoma perspective. Listen, there's just not a lot to be excited about right now. Their quarterback, Dylan Gabriel's hurt. Two straight losses. The defense is a mess. All I would really say about Oklahoma, it sounds crazy. You don't want to embarrass yourself. I think you're starting to build towards 2023, 2024, and 2025. I saw Andy Staples from The Athletic. I thought he did a really good article. This year is not about this year. This year is about setting things up and recruiting so that you're ready to compete in the SEC. Their their recruiting class is heavy on defensive linemen, front seven guys, linebackers, things like that. They're going to need it in a hurry. I have not given up on Brent Venables. There's just not a lot of juice coming into this game. You You know what game there is a lot of juice on? Tennessee at LSU. And the superlative here is the game that doesn't feel like the game of the week, but it actually is. And we talked about it a lot on Thursday's show. But I'll tell you this, it, it really kind of in many ways reminds me of Kentucky-Ole Miss last week, where there's there's bigger brands, bigger names, bigger programs. But I think the people that really love college football knew, oh, Ole Miss-Kentucky is going to be an awesome game. And I think we expect a lot of the same from Tennessee and LSU. Tennessee is a three-point favorite. And we talked about kind of what happens for each team if they are to win – on Thursday's show, I think Tennessee then becomes a dark horse SEC candidate. I think Henan Hooker becomes probably the Heisman Trophy favorite. But then from the LSU perspective, it means that Brian Kelly's rebuild is ahead of schedule. LSU will be five and one. They went six and six last year under Coach O, and they have a patchwork roster, um, a lot of transfers, a lot of young guys. It means Brian Kelly is getting what, you know, he's making the money that he he's being paid to, to, to do there. Um, And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy for LSU. It just means that he would be ahead of schedule. The one thing I didn't do on Thursday's show, I didn't really talk about the game itself. And let me just say this. um, I actually do like Tennessee. Tennessee is my official pick, three-point favorite in the Bedford Sportsbook. And it's because of something that I really kind of talked about on Thursday's show, which is that this is the time of the year that I do think we have to be cognizant, if you will, of who has basically been on a bye who has not been on a bye, and I think it's just something to monitor if you are a fan of college football. Because you look at Tennessee, they are fresh off of a bye, they're feeling good, they should feel good, um, because they're basically coming into this game at 100%. LSU, on the other hand, has a few key injuries, and injuries at important spots, I would add. Jaden Daniels, their starting quarterback, now he's going to play, but he hurt his knee last week against Auburn, Thankfully, there's no structural damage, but I think that's important because what that says to me is a quarterback who not only beats you with his arm, but with his legs, that guy is not going to be able to run very much. And that limits what he can do. Now, the good news is he's going up against a defense that cannot stop the pass at all. Tennessee has the worst pass defense in all of power five football last in the SEC, obviously. But from the LSU perspective, you know, your quarterback isn't really going to be mobile. And then also, and you saw it on Saturday night against Auburn. I hate to say it, but Seven Banks, the the, the cornerback, was carted off. Very scary injury. He's okay, but he's not going to play. This Tennessee team is not the team that you want to be going in down a cornerback. They're the number one pass offense in all of college football. So Tennessee off a bye. I would also say I do think the noon Eastern, 11 Central kickoff favors Tennessee. I do like Tennessee in this one, in the game that feels like it's not the biggest game, but it actually is. Give me the balls. I just want to do, I want to take a quick break, come back, and when we do, we will get to the rest of the college football superlatives. And of course, from there, we'll transition to college hoops, Kentucky, Gonzaga, and we'll do America's Favorite Podcast segment, Aaron Right, Aaron Wrong. Going to take a quick break. Be right back. Don't go anywhere. Don't change the channel. Don't change the dial. Don't mess with the rabbit ears on the oh, this this isn't a TV. Never mind. I'll be right back. Take a quick break. All right, everybody, I'm back. Going to be back, Going to be back. Let's get to the rest of the week six college football superlatives. We already talked about a Bama, Texas, Oklahoma, LSU versus Tennessee. And now I want to switch gears to another superlative. I like to call it the why is no one talking about Ohio State as potentially the best team in college football game of the week? Which, of course, I mean means I'm about to preview the Arkansas-Mississippi State game. No, I'm kidding. We're going to, of course, talk Michigan State-Ohio State. But as I was kind of looking through some stuff on this game, something really kind of jumped out to me. It's what I just said. Why is no one making the argument that Ohio State is the best team in college football? Now, I'm not saying they are. But I think you can absolutely make an argument that they, they could be, right? You take out that first half against Notre Dame. Did not look great. Week one, game one, first half, into the second half against Notre Dame, they went 21 to 10. Here's what they've done since. 45 to 12, 77 to 21, 52 to 21, 49 to 10. So they're absolutely destroying teams. They are the number one highest scoring offense in college football. And here's the crazy part. They've basically done it without their best running back, Travion Henderson, he has not played here uh, in the last two games. He was limited in the Wisconsin game, did, did not play last week against Rutgers. And then they are without Jackson Smith and Jing, but the best wide receiver in college football. So you're talking about a team that leads college football in scoring without their best running back, their best wide receiver. And also it's worth noting the defense has been really good this year, too. And that was the question coming into the year. Would the defense be improved under first-year coordinator Jim Knowles, who came from Oklahoma State? Well, as I'm recording here, and nothing's really going to change between now and the start of this game on Saturday night, Ohio State is currently ranked in the top 10 in total defense. Um, Obviously, the scoring defense, I think, is a little bit deceptive because they've given up some points late. But their run defense has been excellent as well, giving them about 110 yards per game. And they are absolutely steamrolling everybody. Now I understand the toughest games are on the schedule. Still, they have to play Michigan at home. They have to play at Penn State. Um, you know they obviously will will take on Iowa next week and uh, excuse me in two weeks from now Iowa plays real defense. But somebody make the I'm not again I'm not saying they they should be the best team ranked number one. I think there should be more people making the case though. Now in terms of their opponent this week, Michigan State. Let me tell you, U G L Y. You ain't got no alibi. You're ugly. I think I used that earlier this week, but I'm using it again. Michigan State was a team that I was not high on coming into the year. And look, I like Mel Tucker. I think he's a good coach. But last year, they had a lot of things go their way, a lot of breaks. And I said, I I don't really like them very much. And I look at them this year, and I'll just be honest, I don't know what they do well. First off, the results are really bad. Uh, They are currently sitting at 2-3. and They're 0-2 in Big Ten play. And you look at their games, I think what's deceptive, you know, the statistics nationally are not as bad as you'd think, but it's because they 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 won their first game 35-13 and their second game 52 to nothing. Since then, they played Washington, they lost that game 39 to 28. But if you watch that game, they were down 29 to 8 at halftime and rallied late to make it close when it wasn't a close game. They got destroyed 34 to 7 by Minnesota, and then they lost to Maryland last week. And that's the one that I would be worried about, right? One thing if you lose on the road at Washington, Minnesota, P.J. Fleck, they're always pretty frisky, feisty, whatever. You get destroyed by Maryland? Probably not a good sign. And here's the thing with Michigan State. It ain't going to get any easier. They have Ohio State this week, they have Wisconsin next week, then a bye, then at Michigan, then at an Illinois team that all of a sudden is 4-1 and pretty good, and they wrap the season at Penn State. So you're Two and three coming into this week, you play Ohio State, then you play Wisconsin at home, then you still got at Michigan, at Illinois, at Penn State, not ideal. Like I said, I just don't know what this team's identity is, and the offense has just been absolutely abysmal in the post-Kenneth Walker era. This is a team that, as I record, 92nd nationally in total offense, and that rush offense that carried them last year is ranked 99th in the country. You know how bad it is? They're ranked behind Texas A&M right now in the national rankings. I worry about Michigan State. Ohio State, a 27-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. I will not be betting this one. Uh, total stay away to me. I think Ohio State rolls, though. Let's keep it going with the, is this Brian H- Harson's last stand game of the week? And I'm, of course, talking about the Deep South's oldest rivalry, Georgia-Auburn. Listen, the Brian Harson thing is sad. I do think he wasn't given a fair chance. It was funny because I was thinking about Chip Kelly at UCLA, the first two years were a total disaster. Year three was COVID and the team record-wise wasn't good. And it wasn't until year four that he really popped. Now I'm not saying that Brian Harson's Chip Kelly, and I'm not saying you should give him till year four, year five, but you look at UCLA, they might be a top 15 team in the country. I think they are. And Brian Harson, after one year, they're trying to get rid of him. I think this might be his last game. I've heard from multiple people. He will be let go after this one. Auburn boosters expect a blowout. They have started the search for an AD. And so because they've started that AD search, they're kind of asking the ADs, or I suspect that they'll ask the ADs, okay, what's your, what's your candidate list for coaches? And we'll talk about coaches at some point. But I've heard from multiple people this could be Brian Harson's last game. They play at Ole Miss next week. And then of course, beyond that, um, they would have a bye. I, I don't understand why you don't just wait till the bye week to get rid of them. But either way, uh, I think this could be Brian Harson's last stand. And I think from the Georgia perspective, it's really interesting to me. I'm kind of surprised the number of people that were freaking out after Georgia's game against Missouri last week. Now, it wasn't pretty, but Missouri, it, it's a road SEC game, right? It's a road SEC game at night. You're getting everybody's best effort. And yet after the game, I heard, oh my goodness, Georgia, what's wrong with them? struggled against Kent State, struggled against Missouri. Well, they didn't really struggle against Kent State. Kent State broke off a couple big plays that made it seem closer than it really was, and Georgia still won that game by 17 points. And then the Missouri game, yes, it wasn't pretty, but I think they're fine. I think what I learned with with Georgia so far this season, they're not as good as last year, but that might have been a historically great team or at the very least a historically great defense. Not worried, not concerned. I think Georgia rolls Uh, I do think, by the way, this is kind of a low-scoring game. For those of you who do want to bet it, the over-under is 49.5. This is actually my best bet of the week. The reason being I'm going to take the under, and I'll tell you why. You look at the last uh, five games in this uh, this rivalry, again, the Deep South's oldest rivalry, really fun game historically. This is a game that usually historically has been a very low-scoring game. Georgia has won the last five. Here are the scores in those games. Georgia 34-10 to last year, 27-6 in 2020, 21-14 in 2019, 27-10 in 2018, and 28-7 to in 2017. So we are talking about now five straight years that it has gone under the 49-point total that is the, the potential for this game. I think it's low scoring. I think Georgia wins. And I think we could be talking on Monday's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast about who is the next head coach at Auburn, hint, hint, we've talked about at least one of the candidates a lot on this show, and I think there's another candidate that makes sense there as well. We will discuss that. Two more games that I kind of want to quickly preview. One, this is the, I have no idea what is going to happen, but I am really genuinely excited about it, game of the week. How about a top 20 matchup with Utah and UCLA at the Rose Bowl, 3.30 Eastern on Fox? And what I would say about that is that uh, I'll I'll explain why I left in a second. But what I would say about the UCLA-Utah game, just two teams that I think are really good that probably don't get the credit. You know, UCLA, I get they played a bunch of Group of Five and and FCS schools early in the season. Now, by the way, they were supposed to play Michigan. Michigan canceled the game on them. But they played nobody early. They go into that Washington game as a home underdog, and they destroyed Washington. Now, I know the score was close. It was 40-16 to going into the fourth quarter, and Washington rallied to make it respectable. But UCLA was the better team. And the thing that strikes me about UCLA is a couple things. I think we all think of Chip Kelly offense, and we should. UCLA is a super dynamic offense this year with Dorian Thompson Robinson back. They are number eight nationally in total offense. They are number two in the Pac-12 behind Washington. They're actually putting up more yards than USC is, if you can believe that. But I don't think what people realize is the defense has actually been much improved this year. They currently are especially good. They're they're, they're pretty good overall. They are a top 30 defense nationally, but they're top 10 against the run. And that's what makes this game really intriguing to me against Utah, right? Because we know who Utah is. We know what they want to do. They want to run the ball. They want to be physical. They want to take time off the clock and they want to beat you just beating you up. Well, this UCLA team is tough and physical along the line of scrimmage. They are only giving up 81 yards per game on the ground. And it's why I think they have a chance to pull the upset. Now, from the Utah perspective, I know everybody's writing them off after that Florida game. But when I look back at that Florida game, one thing that stands out, that was the best game Anthony Richardson played all year. And I do wonder if Anthony Richardson, if you have even a week of film on Anthony Richardson, does Utah get out of that game alive? Instead, they lose that game. But here are their four games since then 73 to 7 win against Southern Utah, 35 to 7 against San Diego State, 34 to 13 against Arizona State, 42 to 16 last week against an Oregon State team that almost beat USC. This is a good Utah team. They're a physical Utah team. And I think the question just becomes this, can Utah run the ball against UCLA? Because I think two things happen. One, Utah has a ton of success if they do that, but two, it also keeps that UCLA offense off the field. Again, I have no strong opinion on this one. Utah is a three and a half point favorite in the Betfred sports book. Um, I can't call for the upset. These are the two teams, by the way, that I picked to play for the Pac-12 championship this year. If you go back to my preseason picks, I have Utah and UCLA playing for the Pac-12 championship. So this could be a preview. And what I would say overall, by the way, Pac-12 is actually looking pretty good. UC- USC is awesome. UCLA is undefeated. Uh, Oregon has looked great since that Georgia game. Utah is 4-1. And, and oh, by the way, Washington is 4-1 and one as well with the only loss coming to UCLA. Finally, the last game I just want to talk about really quickly. This is what I'm calling the apparently I need to give Will Levis more credit than I am game of the week. It is, of course, uh, Kentucky versus South Carolina. And why I'm talking about this game, why I want to discuss this game, why it's important, Will Levis is one of those guys that we do not know if he's going to play this weekend. And what's interesting is you look at the Bedford Sportsbook. When I went to bed on Wednesday night, Kentucky was a 12-point favorite in this game. I actually think it, it was at 12 in the middle of the day on Wednesday. By the time I went to bed, it was 10. I woke up and it was six points, which means that the the, the odds makers, including the ones at Betfred Sportsbook, they don't think Will Levis is going to play. And so I think this is a game a little bit like Tennessee LSU that I talked about a minute ago, where when I look at these games, I think one thing that you have to factor in at this time of the year, who's had their buy. Who has not, and who's healthy, and who isn't? South Carolina, Shane Beamer, he said at his press conference, basically everybody's available for this game. You flip it around Kentucky, we don't know if Will Levis is going to play. On top of that, West Jones, leading tackler, got hurt against Ole Miss. Mark Stoop said it's going to be a wait-and-see deal. Uh, another linebacker, J.J. Weaver, it might not play in this game, hasn't played the last few weeks. Kentucky is banged up. And I do worry a little bit about them in the South Carolina game. I think South, I think Kentucky wins. I think they're the better team. They're at home. It's night, Kroger Field. But without Will Levis, I do worry a little bit about them. Maybe I need to give Will Levis a little bit more credit. All right, I think that's it for the week six college football preview, the week six college football superlatives. That's what I want to do. Do you want to take a quick break? Going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about Kentucky-Gonzaga basketball. We got a six-year series on that one. And then from there, we'll wrap with America's Favorite Segment, Aaron Right, Aaron Wrong. Take a quick break. We will be right back.
2: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire,
2: huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.
0: That's chumbacasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to wrap. Uh, you know, we do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, every Friday to end the show. And we're going to do it in a minute. But there is one college basketball topic that I do just want to quickly touch. It's I don't feel like it's a full, let's take a break, pause, do another segment on it, but it's about a four or five minute conversation. Uh, but it's a really cool story that that's kind of a follow up from something that we talked about probably about six or seven weeks ago. So about six seven weeks ago, um, John Calipari and Mark Few make this announcement, and it was centered around and it's unfortunate, but there had been some flooding in Kentucky. Kentucky basketball was doing some relief, uh, re- you know, relief stuff as it pertained to you know the damages that had been done across the state. But I bring it up because at the time, one of the things that was announced was that Kentucky and Gonzaga were going to meet in what is essentially a home-and-home in 2022 and 2023. Now, it's not technically a home-and-home because Kentucky isn't going to Gonzaga's uh, home court. They're playing at Spokane Arena, which is basically a home court. It's in Spokane, about a mile from campus. But it was a really cool story that we discussed at the time. And we got a little bit of a follow-up to it on Thursday that I just want to hit on really quick. And that follow-up is this, John Calipari had basically been teasing for about three, four days now that there was some scheduling news coming to the University of Kentucky. Well, we got it on Thursday as Gonzaga and Kentucky announced that not only are they playing this year in Spokane, not only are they playing next year in Lexington, but they have agreed to extend their series to six games total from now through 2027. So really quick. Uh, they will play in Spokane at Spokane Arena this year. They will play at Rupp Arena next year. They will play a neutral site game in Seattle, which is obviously more Gonzaga home territory uh, in five four, I guess it would be. 2025, they'll play in Nashville, which is kind of Kentucky territory. That's where the SEC tournament is most years. 2026, they go back to Rupp. And then 2027, they do, in fact, play in the Kennel, Gonzaga's home court. And so what I would say, just very quickly, a couple thoughts on this. One, this is just great for college basketball. Listen, I'm in favor of any big early season games because unlike college football in its current state, college basketball, you don't really get punished for playing big early season games. As a matter of fact, you're rewarded, right? We see teams all the time. We talk about uh, you know all the advanced metrics and quad one wins and out of conference scheduling and The schools that challenge themselves don't get dinged for it. Um, Your resume isn't impacted. Your seating in the NCAA tournament isn't impacted. And so I'm in favor of any big early season games that draw a spotlight on college basketball. But then I take it even a step further. Um, I'm in favor of any big games, especially ones that fans can enjoy in person. And my big, you know, gripe with college basketball over the last couple of years, I think it's become too much of a neutral court heavy sport. Uh, In other words, a lot of teams will play neutral court games because they don't want to play a true road game, but they get more credit in the computers for playing on a neutral site. And so what you end up seeing is these teams playing these boring games in empty arenas in Vegas or Dallas or South Dakota or this place or that place. And so the idea that we're getting six games that should be easily accessible for fans, I think is not only great for college basketball because we get Gonzaga, Kentucky for six straight years, but we get Gonzaga, Kentucky in places where the fans can enjoy it. Now, what will these programs look like six years from now? I have no idea. John Calipari might be gone. Mark Few might be retired. Gonzaga might be in the big, you know, the big East or the big 10 or the Pac-12 by then, who knows? But overall, I just think it's good for college basketball. Uh, No real gripes. I mean, I think you know, if you wanted to do one of the games in New York or one of the games in Vegas, like I think there there could have been some cool elements. But overall, I think it's just good for college basketball. What I would also say on top of that, I think it's cool um, that, by the way, that Kentucky will eventually play in the kennel. If you remember, this was a big talking point when the series was first announced. John Calipari, you know, Kentucky playing in Spokane Arena. John Calipari sends out a tweet. Um, that essentially, uh, you know, uh, well, you know, Kentucky doesn't play in 6,000-seat venues. Well, maybe they do after all. I think Calipari took a little bit of heat from that. So I think it's cool that we're getting this six years in a row. I think it's cool that Kentucky is going to go to the kennel. And I'll be honest, I think it's cool that Gonzaga is going to play at Rupp twice, right? I mean, you know, I just talked about games that fans have a chance to experience. Um, And I think it's good that we get some of these games in a true home court environment. Kentucky obviously has a loaded SEC slate. But increasingly, as Kentucky fans will tell you, over the last probably six, seven, eight years, more and more of their marquee big games out of conference end up on neutral courts. So the fact that you get two visits from Gonzaga, the fact that Gonzaga gets Kentucky to Spokane twice, nothing but a win for college basketball. And I think as long as these two coaches are there, this will be must-watch November basketball. Uh, There aren't too many teams that'll get you away from football on a a Saturday or Sunday or even a Monday night. But these games might be it. With that said, let's switch gears and uh, wrap the show as we do every single Friday with what has quickly become America's favorite podcast segment, where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Concept of the segment is pretty straightforward, right? Took it from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Colin does every single week where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And I decided to bring it to the show where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong with a pretty straightforward idea. The idea being, nobody puts out more sports opinions over the course of a week or a month or a year than your boy Torres, and I get a lot of stuff right. And when I get it right, nobody likes to pat themselves on the back, say, Torres tried to tell you, why didn't you listen to Torres? Just one problem, I get a lot of stuff wrong too. And so we decided to do where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, to highlight the best takes of my week, month, year but also my worst ones as well and acknowledge that I get a lot of stuff wrong too. So let's get into it. A Friday, mid-October edition of Where Aaron Was Right, Where Aaron Was Wrong. Where Aaron Was Right. So late last college football season, I remember doing this segment because I was in a hotel in Vegas Thanksgiving weekend and one of the marquee games on Thanksgiving weekend is always the Egg Bowl. Well, last year, Ole Miss wins. They improved to 10-2 and and I remember saying at the time, I don't know what you thought of Lane Kiffin previously. I know it didn't end well with the Raiders. I know he had a weird exit from Tennessee. I know it was a disaster in USC. Maybe it wasn't even his fault because a lot of it had to do with sanctions. But whatever you thought of Lane Kiffin, we have to acknowledge that this guy has evolved into one of the best head coaches in college football. Last year at Ole Miss, a school that traditionally middle of the pack to bottom of the SEC, he wins 10 games. They go to the Sugar Bowl. This after two 10-win seasons at Florida Atlantic, and frankly a very good year in COVID in year one for Kiffin. Well, fast forward Saturday, what happens? Against the top-20 Kentucky team at home, Ole Miss wins 22-19. Ole Miss is 5-0, and, and they appear as though they are once again a really good team. What's especially impressive about this particular Ole Miss team, listen, Ole Miss does not recruit at the level of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Michigan, whoever you want to say. And so what's especially impressive is it's one thing if last year he kind of had a veteran group, second year in his system, some holdovers from the previous regime. This year he's got almost an entirely new roster. Both offensive tackles are, tra- are, are are young players that are new to the program. The starting quarterback, Jackson Dart, is their best running back is a true freshman. Their best tight end is a transfer. Their best wide receivers are transfers. Some of their best defensive players are transfers as well. And so you look at this team, you look at this program, you look at the fact that Lane Kiffin won 10 games last year, then completely flips the roster and starts 5-0. and And I'll tell you this, they play at Vandy ne- this week and then Auburn at home next week. There is a very good chance Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss start 7-0, this after a 10-win season. Again, I do not care what you think you thought about Lane Kiffin. This guy has developed into one of the best coaches in college football, where Aaron was wrong. So after that Ole Miss game on Monday show, I talked a lot about Kentucky quarterback. Well, I talked about the Ole Miss-Kentucky game. But one thing I said was, Will Levis, like, we got to stop talking about him as the potential number one pick in the draft. I said, look, it's no disrespect. He's a very nice player, but there is nothing that he does. He's big and strong, but outside of physicality, there's nothing he does better than Bryce Young. He's not faster. He's not more athletic. He doesn't throw a better deep ball. Um, he doesn't have a better arm. He's not more accurate. Well, I said all that. And then Mel Kuyper came out with an updated mock draft on Thursday. And he has Will Levis number one as well. So I don't know if I'm missing something. I don't know if I'm not analyzing things correctly. And I don't think anybody in this draft doesn't have flaws, at least at the quarterback position. Bryce Young is small. CJ Stroud, there's some stuff behind the scenes with some injury stuff. Is there an elbow problem? That's The point being is that everybody's got flaws but I just don't see it with Will Levis. I think he's a really good college quarterback, but in his biggest games, he has not been great, okay? He was not great against Florida despite them getting a win. He was not great last year against some middle-to-bottom-of-the-pack SEC teams that ended up losing games to Kentucky. I'm thinking about Mississippi State. I'm thinking about South Carolina. And when I think of a quarterback number one overall, I think Trevor Lawrence. I think Kyler Murray. I think Joe Burrow. I think about the guys that elevate programs, put them on their back, and take those programs to another stratosphere the way that Joe Burrow did, the way that Kyler Murray literally had to put up 50 points every week because Oklahoma's defense couldn't get stops that year. I don't see it with Will Levis, but maybe I'm missing something. Mel Kuyper likes him. Todd McShay likes him. And as I mentioned earlier, he might not be playing this weekend, and the Betfred Sportsbook odds have plummeted. Kentucky was a 12-point favorite. They're down to six. Maybe I'm just missing it. But apparently everybody loves Will Levis, except for me. And by the way, really good college quarterback. I just don't see the number one overall pick, but apparently Aaron was wrong. Where Aaron was right. So if you listen to the college football betting show, one thing I said before the season, I said, look, I think UCLA is the most underrated team in college football coming into this year, at least in the Pac-12. By the way, they're going to be really good in basketball too, but we'll save that for future episodes. But what I said at the time was they returned basically their whole offense. And remember, they were number one in offense in the Pac-12 last year, and they improved the defense via the transfer portal. And one thing I think we think about with the transfer portal, we think about all these teams that completely overhaul their rosters, like Ole Miss, like USC, like LSU. Sometimes it's doing what Kentucky does, for example, in the portal, what Arkansas did or what UCLA did. It's not about bringing in 20 guys. It's about bringing in five or six that are going to have real impact at positions of need. Well, fast forward, UCLA looks awesome. Now, they play Utah this weekend, as we discussed, and I have no idea how that game is going to go. But I believe that UCLA is easily a top 15 team in the country and probably closer, honestly, to 10 than to 15, as crazy as it sounds. Their offense is explosive. They can score on any given play but the defense is much improved. Top 10 rush defense leads the country in tackles for loss. I know the schedule hasn't been great, but I told you UCLA was going to be good and they look really good heading into a top 20 showdown against Utah this weekend where Aaron was wrong. This one might end up on the Mount Rushmore of where Aaron was wrong. And that's the Oklahoma Sooners. Because while I did tell you in the preseason that I loved me some UCLA, I also said I love Oklahoma. I think they're going to win the Big 12. I think they're going to make the college football playoff. I think they can win games once they get to the college football playoff. I don't believe the quarterback's going to take as big of a, the offense is going to take as big of a step back. Dylan Gabriel is in from UCF. And the defense is going to step up in a big way because Brent Venables is now the head coach. Just one problem. The defense stinks. I forget if I listed the stats earlier when we talked Texas-Oklahoma. They have the worst defense in the Big 12. They're giving up more than 50 yards per game, more than the next closest team. They can't stop anybody 668 yards to TCU last week. And so I'm not smart enough to know about the scheme and the this and the that and how much is to blame for the previous regime. But as I've told you before, the talent is there. You look at the 24-7 composite rankings. They have the third or fourth most talented roster in college football right now from top to bottom. I'm not saying Brent Venables isn't the guy. His recruiting class this coming year in 2023 is heavy on defensive linemen, front seven guys, and guys that you think can make an impact as Oklahoma transitions to the SEC. But it isn't good this year. It isn't good right now. And if I'm an Oklahoma fan, I'm starting to worry. Where Aaron was right. Let's go back to the NFL or let's go to the NFL. And I told you, I've been saying for years, I don't understand the Jimmy G hate. Now, I didn't want to see him get the job back because of an injury to Trey Lance. I hope Trey Lance makes a speedy recovery, and I hope Trey Lance proves me wrong and one day ends up on where Aaron was wrong because I've never believed in him. But what I've always said about Jimmy G, I do not understand why people don't like him. He got the 49ers to a Super Bowl. The 49ers had a lead in the fourth quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs, and their defense fell apart. It wasn't Jimmy G's fault that they didn't win the Super Bowl. It was the defense's fault. Fast forward to last year, if the guy doesn't drop the interception against the Rams, they'd probably go back to the Super Bowl for a second time in three seasons. Well, we all know what happens this offseason. Trey Lance is given the job. Trey Lance gets hurt. Jimmy G takes over. Well, looking at the San Francisco 49ers, Monday night football, they just took care of the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. Los, uh, San Francisco now sitting at two and two. Jimmy G is basically unbeatable against the Rams in every game other than that NFC championship game last year. And I'm just telling you, I don't understand why people don't like him. He's a winner. He's a gamer. He's awesome. Love me some, Jimmy G. Well, Aaron was wrong. Let's stick in the NFL. You know, when Dak Prescott got, got hurt, again, nobody wishes ill will or injuries upon anybody, but I think I put out a tweet something about, oh, Looks like 2023 is definitely the year that the Cowboys make a comeback. Kind of sarcastic, like every year is the Cowboys year, but not this one. Well, Cooper Rush is now 3-0 and as a starter, as Dallas is four, 3-1 and heading into their Week 5 game this weekend. And so, look, I don't think Cooper Rush is the long-term answer at quarterback. But what I would also say about that whole situation is I think it's making for a fascinating deal. One, Jerry Jones was dumb enough, and I'm using the word dumb about a billionaire to say, I hope Cooper Rush makes this a quarterback controversy. I'm sorry, but when Dak Prescott's making $40 million a year, there's no controversy unless you create one owner, which is exactly what he did and it was idiotic. But two, I'll tell you this, there's pressure on Dak now when he comes back and there's pressure on Mike McCarthy because Cooper Rush has put the Cowboys in position to compete for, at the very least, a wild card berth, if not a division title. I know Philly's in first place and undefeated, the only undefeated team, But I'm just telling you, just a fascinating deal in Dallas where I had given up on them. Everybody had given up on them. Now they are three and one. And really, I think one of the surprises of the NFL as they head into their weekend game against Dallas or against uh, the the Rams, excuse me, at SoFi Stadium. Let's wrap. Where Aaron was right. Another team, I said all offseason. I said, don't buy the hype. The Michigan State Spartans. And I'm talking about football, of course. I said, look, I'm sure Mel Tucker's a great guy. I think he's probably a really good coach. But if you go back to last season, they had a lot of breaks along the way. Four wins by six points or less, three of them at home against marquee teams. Michigan fell apart late against them. They beat Penn State by three at home, and they beat Nebraska in a game where if Nebraska had made a a, a, a tackle on a punt, the game is over, and Nebraska wins that game. Maybe the Scott Frost era is different, whatever. To Michigan State's credit, they won all of them. But I said, look, I, I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think the talent is there. I don't like the quarterback. I think they got a lot of breaks along the way. They had a transcendent season from Kenneth Walker, the running back, who now I believe plays for the Seattle Seahawks. I just don't see it. Well, fast forward, Michigan State, they are currently at 2-3 and overall. Bad losses to Maryland. Bad loss to Washington. Get destroyed by Minnesota. Now they host Ohio State as a 27-point home favorite. I believe in Mel Tucker. But man, oh man, oh man, I tried to tell you. I said, they're taking a step back this year. I didn't even think they'd be quite as bad as they are, as they're looking at two and four after this week. Still have Penn State, Michigan on the schedule. They also have Wisconsin. And they got an all of a sudden interesting Illinois team coached by Brett Bielema. This team might not get to six wins and even go to a bowl game. Finally, where Aaron was wrong. So I liked Kansas Kansas football in the preseason. But I said, Looking at their schedule, the over-under was two and a half wins. I said, I can't say that there's three definitive wins on their schedule. Well, apparently I was wrong because going into the weekend, they are 5-0 and and they are the story of college football. Listen, you don't need me to tell you all about Kansas. We talked about Lance Leipold, their head coach, earlier in the week. But this is just an incredible story. Program has not won more than three games since 2009. They have not won more than five games since 2008. Got rid of Charlie Weiss, got rid of Les Miles, got rid of—they had so many different coaches. Lance pulls the guy. Listen, I don't know if they're going to win this weekend. I don't even know if they're going to be able to keep Lance pulled after this year with Nebraska and Wisconsin open. But at the same time, enjoy the moment, Jayhawks fans. I thought they'd be good. I thought improvement for them was like three and nine, four and eight in a best case scenario. They're five and zero, oh go play hosting TCU this weekend. They get to six and zero. Oh, they're going to a bowl game. And oh, by the way. Big 12 is wide open. Oklahoma ain't going back to the Big 12 championship game. Baylor already has a conference loss and two losses overall. Texas has a conference loss and two conference losses, two losses overall. That league is wide open. Can you imagine if Kansas was playing for a Big Big 12 title at Jerry World? Not saying it's going to happen. Don't think it's inconceivable either. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Arator Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, if you're not subscribed to the show, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to Torque. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I'll be back on Monday. New episode
2: 18 plus.